0: Okay, well, you know, as the kids are leaving here, uh, I'll, just, I'll just say up front, I, I get it. I mean, we just, we just spent like five hours in the sun. You had dinner very recently. Um, yeah, you could be tired. So I asked them to, to get the AC down a few more notches, keep you alert. Um, hope you had a good, good free time. Who had a nice free time? You guys have a nice time? You, you had a great time, a good, good free time. I got um, cactus splinters in my feet, I'm sunburned. Got a rope burn on my hands, um, so all I say it was, I mean, it was a great free time. It was, a great, really nice time." The, the giant swing was a highlight. That was a fun. Really enjoyed that. Um, the field games were fun. The the uh, kids did beat the parents, but we'll get them next year. Get those guys next year. So that was good. And if you uh, really appreciated Lucas's message this morning, always. Good to be challenged, to rest, to stop working, to, to, just to be reminded and challenged that rest is a priority and a necessity in our life. And also appreciated that Lucas only went about 30 minutes, so we just banked those 15 minutes. I'll probably use them up in this message. So I uh, really appreciate that. Thanks, Lucas. Could use the extra time. That's really helpful. Um, so that's good. Yeah, our theme, our theme for the weekend here is just how to get the most out of summer as we we know we're, we're through June, or excuse me, through May into June now, and we're thinking summer, school's ending, where rhythms and routines are transitioning. When, how, do we, how do we maximize the summer? How do we think and make the most out of the summer? And rest is certainly a part of that. But this evening, we want to focus a little bit more on refreshment. Uh, again, this morning, the stop working and the, um, the rest and pursuit of eternity these things really, they set us up for refreshment. That's what we want to talk about here this evening. You might be thinking, well, what's the difference between rest and refreshment? Well, you can think about it this way. It's a little nuancy, but rest is what you do after you work, when you're exhausted, kind of like right now. It's a little more passive. Refreshment is what you do to recharge, to prepare to work again. It's a little bit more active. Um, Rest and refreshment are similar, but refreshment is what you do, again, to get ready to work more. A bit of overlap, but we're going to devote our attention this evening to actively refueling our soul and feeding our minds. What does that look like? Because, you know, the world we live in is fast-paced and exhausting, It it tears us down and wears us out, and it it creates a billion dollar industry to renew and restore you so that you can work hard again and tap back into this rest and refreshment mega business. I mean, there are endless commercial products and schemes designed to revive you. Advertisements claim that a cold bevy will refresh you. We're told that vacation or a cruise will recharge you. Hundreds, if not thousands, of self-care products promise to restore you. Um, Or maybe you need a spa day, you know, a massage, a mani, a pedi, cucumber slices on the eyes. For the guys, maybe hit the links, get the fellows together, watch the game. If these things aren't working, maybe treat yourself to a nap, a favorite snack, or a movie. And if all else fails, take a deep breath and pound an energy drink. I I mean, there's just so much in our world that says go harder and use our products to recharge you. Some of those things can be genuine blessings, right, and um, they can be uh, part of our lives for sure, but do they really deliver lasting refreshment? On the whole, we're tired and we're grasping for something to rejuvenate us. We need rest, as we heard this morning, and we need refreshment. The dictionary definition for refreshment is to give fresh mental or physical strength and energy. Biblical refreshment, though, is more than a pick-me-up. It's spiritual vitality. Jesus said that he came so that we might have life and we might have it abundantly. In him we have eternal life and we have living water. Refreshment is about experiencing God's sustaining grace and enjoying God's transforming glory. The question for us, for you, and for me tonight is, how do you tap into this thirst-quenching, soul-satisfying glory in a way that brings refreshment? The answer is to behold and adore the glory of God in creation, in His Word, and among God's people. The big idea for tonight's sermon is to encourage you to actively seek refreshment during this summer and beyond by enjoying the outdoors, delighting in God's word, and prioritizing fellowship among believers. And listen, listen to this. I'm convinced that if you neglect these God-given sources of refreshment, you'll you'll pay the price in the fall. After you've taken your vacations and the long summer days give way to the, to the fall hustle, your soul will be weary and restless. You can, however, promote true spiritual vitality and refreshment if you incorporate these things into your life. And of course, some ways I feel like I'm preaching to the choir because this is essentially family camp. Right, we've come up here, we've gotten away, we're in God's creation, we're hearing from God's word, and we're spending time with God's people, but we don't want the kind of the family camp high to just be a weekend, and then we are off into something else for the rest of the summer. This is what we want to focus on this morning. Let me pray for us and we'll look more into it. Father, thank you that you've gathered us here this weekend to spend time together as a church family. Uh, What a blessing. We're thankful for the, the weather and that we could be outside and enjoy. Um, the outdoors and the warm weather and the lake and all the activities that we had. We're thankful that we can enjoy uh, fellowship among one another and encouraging and just spending time with one another, getting to know each other. We're thankful to hear each other's stories and the way you're at work in our lives. We're thankful to sing songs and lift our hearts in praise. And uh, We're just thankful for you, Lord. Uh, You are so good to us. I pray now that you give us ears to hear and hearts to respond to your word, and you do it for your name's sake and for our greater joy, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're not already there, please turn your Bibles to Psalm 19. These 14 verses give us insights that promote biblical refreshment. You know, C.S. Lewis wrote of Psalm 19, he said, I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. There's some truth to that statement, which is probably why this text is familiar to you. Uh, But I want to approach it this evening in maybe a way that you're not used to. I want to think about it with a specific goal, really, again, as I said, to encourage you to actively seek refreshment in God's creation, through God's word, and with God's people. We begin with refreshment from God's creation. Refreshment from God's creation. Look with me at Psalm 19, verses 1 to 6. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. and there is nothing hidden from its heat the point of these verses is that god reveals his glory in creation and that's good news for you and for me because glimpses of glory bring refreshment to the soul we need to see glory we need to be a part of experiencing glory and part of that happens in god's creation You know, in our fast-paced, productive, efficient, scheduled world and and people that are like that, we can so easily neglect this area of God's ministry. It's meant to provide you with daily help and hope. Have you ever thought about that? We often think about God's Word, which we'll get to in a minute. But God's creation is intentionally designed to encourage you. God intends it to be so. Every single day and every place on the planet, God speaks to those who will listen There is no audible voice, but his creation proclaims his handiwork. It pours out speech over all the earth, even to the end of the world. All that he has made, the rhythms of creation, are continually announcing that God is good. That God is powerful and faithful and glorious and living and immortal and kind and moral and just. Creation speaks. For example, in Psalm 97, verse 6, it says, The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the people see his glory. Romans 1.20 says, His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Jeremiah 32.17, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Revelation 4.11, worthy are you, our Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? Why is, he, why is he worthy to receive glory and honor and power? For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. What we learn from these and a host of other verses is that the sky speaks. The sky has a message. John Piper wrote, God speaks through what he has made and means for you to hear what he has to say. And since he never speaks in vain, he means for what he has to say to minister to you, to meet some need that you have. So creation speaks without words. God intends to communicate something about himself to you through colors and shapes and design and motion and landscapes and skylines and peaks and valley. He intends to care for your soul through demonstrations of his glory and power in creation. The question is, are you listening? Are you looking? By illustration, we could compare it really to the the wordless communication of a painting. If you were to go to an art gallery gallery and look at a painting, when you see that piece of art, two things happen. Immediately, you know that it's a painting. It's not alive, it's not real. You don't mistake the Mona Lisa for a real woman. And at, at first, glance you also have some kind of some kind of an impression about the painting it 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 has some kind of a, a kind of reaction or response to it you make an assessment it's beautiful it's unique it's it's ugly it's odd it's inspiring something about it it it, it you have a reaction to it so, so when you see the painting you are automatically know without thinking that someone has made it right it's not real and you and you have some opinion or feeling about it Well, this happens in God's creation as well. His creation communicates to you without words that that you're seeing something that is made. It was designed. There's a creator, a designer, an artist. Behind that beauty, someone has created. And it solicits a response. You you are somehow affected by what you see. Uh, You don't stand at the Grand Canyon and be like, ah, whatever, no big deal. Uh, You're affected by it. You you hike to the peak of a mountain and you and Even if you don't articulate it, it it impresses something upon you. What you learn from creation is that God is glorious and that there's a source behind that glory. There's a a glorious one who has made creation glorious. Notice also that David describes what it's like to behold glory in creation, verses 5 and 6. It's compared to a bridegroom on his wedding day. What's the illustration here? Well, when you go to a wedding and the ceremony begins, everyone is full of joy, right? The bride, the bridegroom, the witnesses, everyone. It's a joyful occasion. Likewise, when the sun bursts forth, when it comes up over the horizon and lights up the mountains, or when it when it hits the peaks, or or when it causes the light to sparkle on the waterfall, or the warmth hits your face. It's glorious it's joyful. It, it's something you can't totally explain in words. It's also compared to a strong man running his course. I mean, have you ever gone on a, on a long run or on a long ride or a, a long hike and you, you just got, you just got lost in the moment, right It just kind of you just kind of almost like time stood still right you're, you're cycling and you're just like, you're just in another kind of moment, I guess, or you're hiking and it's just like, you're just lost and it's been four hours and it felt like 20 minutes. Um, Well, this is kind of what time seems to stop and you're you're working hard, your mind is clear, it just seems right. Well, while you're running and when you finish the line, it's the same kind of analogy. There's joy. It's joyful. You go on that, that hike or that other way you can experience creation, it's just, it's good. It's joyful. That's our response to creation, joy and refreshment. Let's take it a step further. The why do we experience refreshment from God's creation? Well, I've already alluded to the most obvious answer because in it, God reveals his glory and you were made for glory. God's creation reminds us that we're small and weak. God's creation humbles us. It gives us hope and promotes joy. God's creation thrills our imagination and amazes our senses. Glimpses of glory lead to moments of joy. And you experience that in God's creation. There, God reveals himself so that we can know him, enjoy him, and worship him. Consider the mountains, consider the oceans, the forests, the human body, the billions of galaxies. Whatever it is, these things move us, and they ought to move us to worship I mean, think Planet Earth documentaries only in person, live. It doesn't have to be that extravagant. I mean, it, it, just outside where we're at here, you just go out, and you're, if, if you're looking, if you're aware, if you're thinking about it, you worship. And it leads to joy, and it leads to just examples of God's glory. If to say it negatively, if you do not pay attention to the ministry of creation, Listen, I believe you will be less humble. You will be less hopeful, less whole, less happy than you might otherwise be. Because when you look to the heavens, humility is an appropriate response. Think about Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4. The psalmist says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the Son of Man that you care for Him. Creation humbles us. Pictures from space and other galaxies remind us that we're small and you know relatively insignificant, right? We're mean. It's not to say we're there's not meaning, right? We also look to creation. We're reminded that God cares for the sparrows. Certainly cares even for more for our lives as well. So not meaningless, but just it puts things into perspective. When you look at the heavens, there's also there's hope. Your hope is strengthened. Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. The psalmist says, lift, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. It strengthens our hope. We, we look to creation and we think, that's my God. My God spoke and that came into existence. Certainly he will care for me. It's common for biblical Prayers to acknowledge that God is creator and the sustainer of all things because it's hopeful to think of God's power, of his sovereignty, of his involvement in creation. As the crown of his creation, he cares for us all the more than all that he's created. When you look to the heavens, there's also a sort of emotional relief. Busyness and stress seem to fade when you're on that 5K or 10K hike. Uh, depression and discouragement seem to weaken when you lay down in a field at night and just look at the constellations. Even temptations to sin seem to loosen their grip when you sit on your porch and watch a thunderstorm. Lastly, when you look at the heavens, there's a a sort of self-forgetfulness that encourages happiness in the Lord. There's a certain kind of joy and contentment when you consider that this terrestrial ball is orbiting within a galaxy of many galaxies. Or or to think deeply about uh, the realities that there are whole ecosystems in the jungle of Africa that, that humans don't even know are there. My father, your father, has the world in his hands. We're small and we think, God has got this. He cares about me. A measure of humility, hope, and happiness await those who look to the heavens and listen to the wordless speech of the sky above. So I encourage you to intentionally enjoy the outdoors this summer. Enjoy the outdoors, yes, maybe you would do that anyway, but intentionally, purposefully think about what God, the wordless ministry God has for you in our great province of Alberta or wherever you go. So there's refreshment in God's creation But we get this, we understand this, it's not a substitute for refreshment from God's Word. It's not a substitute. In fact, it's meaningful times in God's Word will deepen your joy in creation. As you you spend time in the Word and you have a fuller understanding of God and character and who He is, when you go to creation, you'll just see more of it. So they go together. The next verses point us more directly to refreshment through God's Word. Refreshment through God's Word. Look with me at verse 7 and following. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of a honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward You know, in a way, the Christian life is a repeated process of restoration and renewal. The world, our sin, the devil beat us down, and we need revival. And thankfully, we're not helpless. We're we're not hopeless. We have God-given means to defend and extend our joy. We've seen that in part it comes through creation. But this evening, I, I want to strengthen your conviction. I want you to become more convinced that God uses His Word to revive your soul Rejoice your heart and enlighten your eyes, even redeeming your joy-depleting sin. So what I want to do here with these verses is just kind of give a concise overview of them and then point to some some specific application related to refreshment. So contained in these six verses, excuse me, these five verses are six titles, six descriptions, and six promises related to God's word. We'll just go over these very briefly. Uh, first notice that God's word is, it's called the law or the Torah. And this means it gives instruction to, to those who will honor, how, how we honor the Lord. This kind of sets the boundaries for a godly life. And then there's the testimony. The testimony is, it really just, it's exactly that, it's a testimony. It testifies to God's character and it's good works. Uh, the precepts are these kind of doctrinal truths that we're called to obey. God's commandments give detailed and orderly directives. The fear of the Lord is a way of saying that, that scripture is the authoritative worship manual. And the rules are, just, are these kind of just decrees, divine judgments that will give final verdict. Next, observe that collectively, God's word is described in several different ways. These descriptions are informative for us, instructive. God's word is perfect, it says. In other words, it's complete. It's uncompromised. It's unblemished. It's flawless. It's, God's word is sure, meaning it's reliable, unfailing, faithful, enduring. It's also right. In other words, it's straight. It's accurate. It, it's a dependable compass that will get you to your destination. It's also said that God's word is pure, here purity means clarity, it's reasonable and understandable, it's undefiled and undiluted. It's also clean, God's word is uncontaminated, it's incorruptible, it's absolutely holy. And lastly, it's, it's described as true, That as there's no falsehood, it's, there's no deception, it's indisputable and trustworthy. Well when you take these kind of titles for God's word and these descriptions for God's word, it's it's really not, no surprise that God's Word offers compelling promises. Compelling promises. Here, the, the psalmist says, this is what God's Word is, how I would describe it, and this is the result. This is what it accomplishes in our life. Listen to these. It says, Scripture revives the soul. That same phrase is found in Psalm 23. He restores my soul. Scripture restores and revives you. God pours his water on dry land. It replenishes you. It revitalizes you. It renews you. It restores you. It also makes wise the simple. It provides stability. It provides a sure footing for consistent living and God-honoring decision-making. God's word rejoices the heart. A learning, living, and loving God's word leads to lasting joy. Or your heart rejoices and it enlightens the eyes. It, it makes you alert and spiritually attentive. It gives you eyes to see and to walk by faith, not by sight. Next, it says that, that, that though our world is corrupt and constantly changing, here it says God's word endures forever. It never fails, it never falters, it never fades. Lastly, it's righteous altogether. Every jot and tittle is good, just, and complete. You can just hear the refreshment in these descriptions and in these outcomes. I mean, if we just stood, step back, stood, kind of stood back for a moment and looked at these verses in our own lives, in our own quiet time, and thought, man, if, how would my life be different if I believed these things, these few verses? God's word is perfect, and it provides perfect refreshment, among other things in our life. When you take all that into consideration, David tells us in verse 10 that God's word is more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. He just reaches for any description he can say and say, there's nothing better. Even kind of these palpable descriptors like honey, right? Honey hits your tongue, like there's a, I mean... Neurons firing or something like there's a, woo that's, that is sweet. That's what we want God's Word to be like. You open it up, you read it, and like, that is tasty. Like, I mean, that is good for my soul. I mean, winning the lottery, a billion-dollar check, it just, in all seriousness, it just does not compare to the Word of God taking root in our hearts And that leads to a warning against neglecting God's word and a reward for obeying it in verse 11. He says, moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. You know, that's a very quick kind of overview, a very quick kind of summary of the sufficiency and soul-satisfying nature of God's word. Uh, There's refreshment to be had in Scripture because it's a source to experience God's goodness. I love Psalm 34, verse 8. You know it. David says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Where where do we do that? Most uh, tangibly in Scripture. In those descriptive terms, taste it, see it. Experience the goodness of God as you spend time in his word. David delighted and treasured God's word took refuge in it. He meditated on it day and night. So why? So that his soul would be revived. His heart would rejoice and his eyes would be enlightened. Well, that's what we see in Psalm 19. Briefly here, I just want us to go a step deeper. Step out of Psalm 19 and just add a few more points, a few more reasons that tell us that God's word brings refreshment. Number one is that God esteems those who tremble at his word. God esteems those who tremble at his word. Isaiah 66, verse 2. This is the one to whom I will look. He was humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. The Lord looks to those who are lowly and they worship and they have godly sorrow over their sin. He looks to them. When you submit to the word of God, God esteems you. Do you want God's fatherly approval in your life? Right? We have the righteousness of Christ and we're, we're approved and our standing is clear. But in, in the day-to-day practical, day-to-day life, do you want God's approval in your life? He says, well, tremble at my word. Number two, God blesses those who delight in his word. Psalm 1, Psalm 1 tells us, blessed is the man who delights in God's word. The person who eagerly obeys the truth is happy. Do you want to enjoy true, lasting Spiritual happiness, delight in God's word. Take God at his word and believe. That's where joy and satisfaction is. Number three, God protects those who take refuge in his word. Psalm 30, verse 5. God's promises are sure and faithful, and he is a perfect shelter. You want to relate to God as your shelter from the storm? Take refuge in his word. We can go to refuge, we can seek refuge in a lot of things. He said, God says, if you want me to be your shelter, seek refuge in me through my word. Next, God gives freedom to those who know his word. Jesus speaking to the Jews in John 8 says that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth known and applied sets you free from slavery to sin. Do you want to know freedom from sin and self? Do you want to overcome that, that nagging error of your life that just keeps to coming up? you want to walk in holiness? Well, know his word. Lastly, God hears those who abide in his word. John 15, 7, Jesus says, if you abide in my word, ask anything that you wish, and it will be done for you. It's a pretty big promise. The promise comes true as you abide in God's word, as you hide it in your heart, And as your prayers become in line with God's heart, right? You're you're walking with the Father. You're in communion with him. You're walking in the spirit. So he says, ask anything you wish. You want confidence that God hears you? You want confidence that your prayers are meaningful? Abide in his word. The net result is that when you devote yourself to God's word, you are renewed, restored, and rejuvenated. Lastly, before a couple of practical suggestions, listen to these familiar words from Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Do not be wise in your eyes, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. All right, that's the call. Next verse, it, it. Trusting in the Lord, taking refuge in him not leaning on your own understanding, but leaning on understanding of the word, knowing it, living it, spending time in God's word, it, it, will heal, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. When your mind is renewed with the truth and you submit to God's ways, he brings refreshment to your bones. Not your literal bones, but to, just to your person. He makes you whole. He, makes, he brings life to your soul. So a few practical suggestions as we finish up this point. These are obvious, but I want to com- commend them to you. Commit to read God's Word every day, or almost every day this summer. That's obvious, but how many summers has that not been true? <laughs> right, right. The, the vacation goes by, and you're like, man, I, didn't, I guess I didn't spend a lot of time in God's Word all week, because like, we, we, th- we had so many things going on. And, We get it. It's not a guilt trip. We get it. Life goes fast like that. But just make a commitment. Just resolve to say, after a service, if you're married to your spouse or to a friend, say, you know, I'm going to commit to read God's Word every day or almost every day this summer. Why? Because I need it. Because I can't live without it. Because it's sweeter than honey to me. Because this is what I require. Make that commitment. You won't feel like reading every day, but you will benefit from reading every day. You won't feel refreshed every time you read. It's not magical. But on those days, pray Psalm 34, pray Psalm 42, pray Psalm 63, and ask God, tune my affections, enlighten my appetite, strengthen my appetite for you. So you're either delighting in God's word or you're praying for greater delight in God's word. Another practical consideration, read a stanza of Psalm 119 once or twice a week all summer. Just read a stanza, there are eight verses, and just reminding yourself of the value of, and need to be in God's Word. Another one, go to God's Word with a mission. So don't just pass your eyes over the words. Go to God's Word with a mission, namely, make it a treasure hunt. When you go to God's Word, make it a treasure hunt, you're looking for glory. You're going there, God. I want to see more of your glory. I want to see more of Christ as a result of spending time in your Word today. I want to see His character, His works, His redemption. I want to stand in awe of our famous God, Stir my heart, especially look for evidences of God's goodness. You might taste and see that he's good. Savor the flavor of his word. Use the eyes of your heart to behold his glory, his greatness, his beauty, and delight in him. Go on a treasure hunt in earnest. Lastly here, read and meditate with the goal of renewing your mind. How, this, how does the passage relate to gospel promises? What is God calling you to? What is he warning you about? What can you think about throughout the day and rehearse in your mind? How do you need to change your thinking? How do you need to change your emotions in order to conform to God's word? And you think about it, you meditate on it, you revisit and you pray the text. You personalize it. You plead and you praise from the heart. This is where refreshment comes from. It's not a quick fix. This is not the cold bevy version of refreshment this is do the work because god has promised and take god as word refreshment comes from beholding god's glory and creation from enjoying god's goodness in scripture and finally we have refreshment with god's people refreshment with god's people follow along as i read the final three verses beginning of verse 12 Who can discern his error? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. After recounting how God reveals himself in creation and through his word, David is undone. He thought about God's glory proclaimed in the heavens and his holiness portrayed in Scripture. And David recognized that he was in the presence of greatness. For David, that meant under dependence on the Lord for grace and for redemption. It's common in Scripture to have an acute awareness of your sinfulness and your smallness when you encounter the living God. Here it reminds us that true spiritual refreshment does not ignore or neglect sin. It goes through it. Brokenness is not contrary to spiritual refreshment. It's essential. In that whole episode with David and Bathsheba, David kept silent about his sin for a season. And when he did, his bones wasted away. There were groanings all day long. But when he confessed his sin, the steadfast love of the Lord surrounded him and the joy of salvation was restored. And he realized that God does not despise a broken and contrite heart. That's why Peter preached in Acts chapter 3, Repent therefore and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Refreshment comes from the presence of the Lord and sin prevents it. So David says here in Psalm 19, Who can discern his errors? The implied answer is no one, at least not fully. The heart is deceitful, and we are overly optimistic about ourselves. If we can't discern our errors, then we need God to declare us innocent of our hidden faults, and we need God to keep us back from presumptuous sins. We need pardon from hidden sins, and we need power to resist presumptuous sins. So the next question is, how does God reveal sin in your life and how does God restore you? Right? If you go into God's creation or you go into God's word and at least right, you see glory, you see goodness, but one other effect that happens is you see your sinfulness, well, what, how does that happen and what do we do with that? How does God restore us in those moments? Well, God uses many things, but one common and necessary way is through other people. God made us relational, and God uses people to accomplish his redemptive purpose. And this happens primarily, not exclusively, but primarily in the church. That is God's design. So here's the the biblical logic. You still sin. Sin is deceptive, and you're prone to self-serving pride. Therefore, you need God's grace through the ministry of others who will love you, care for you, and counsel you. God created the church for this purpose. So kind of what I've done here is we've seen what David was saying in Psalm 19. And we're saying, you know, in part, God God meets the need of what's happening there through other people in our lives. Let me just unpack that briefly through a few other passages. I'll just make very brief comments on these passages. Hebrews 3.13 Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin deceives and hardens the heart, right? So the challenge here is regularly exhort and encourage one another. Get encouragement from others. That's a safeguard. It's a safeguard. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch over yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You and I will sin. We will need restoration. The Apostle Paul tells us to restore one another with gentleness and to lovingly bear one another's burdens. Romans 15, 14, Paul adds, You yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. The idea here is because believers have the Holy Spirit and believers have God's Word, we're equipped to counsel one another. Biblical soul care is in every member ministry. And when the church functions this way, we experience spiritual refreshment. You go to church, you go to small group, you go to other church functions, and you just think, that was good. Like, I needed that. That was helpful. That person spoke into my life. And that was the right word at the right time. I'm so thankful for God's work. Or or maybe it's the other way. You know, I'm so grateful God used me to speak the truth into someone's life. What a blessing. This is what God does. That's why James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. That's why Luke 17.3 and 4 says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Together we want to proclaim, Psalm 34, verse 3, O magnify the Lord with me, let us exalt his name together. And as you spend time together, we grow, we encourage, we challenge. This happens when we spend time with God's people. We rejoice, we worship, we do family camp throughout the summer. Certainly not this intense, not this condensed, uh, but this is a kind of a taste of what God... Designs our relationships to be like. Now, refreshment with God's people, it's not only about spirit, experiencing spiritual kind of restoration or redemption from sin. All sorts of, all sorts of blessings come from that, these relationships. We stir, one up to, we stir one another up to love and good works. It's about mutual care, mutual meaningful friendship, discipleship, accountability, training in righteousness, re- reminding one another of the promises of the gospel. The churches where we give grace, learn the truth, admit shame, receive love, worship the king, receive the communion and witness baptism and hear testimonies, experiencing deep life-giving relationships. That was, this was Paul's experience. Paul, Paul, as you know, was a missionary, but this was his experience as he traveled from church to church. He often praised the churches for the ways they refreshed him and his team. As we wind down to the end here, just listen to a few more verses. 2 Corinthians seven thirteen. We rejoice still more at the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. This was normal Christianity. This is the church. 2 Timothy 1, 16. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Oniphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not afraid of my chains. Philemon 7. I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. This is what Christians do. We refresh, we encourage, we challenge. We practice the one in others, and we're better for it. The point of all these verses is to demonstrate that God means, for you, God means for you to experience spiritual refreshment with God's people. The application is simple. Don't neglect fellowship with believers this this summer. Be intentional. Spend time with your small group. Make church a priority. Be intentional and creative. Go on hikes together. Right? You're going to plan a family hike? Bring someone else. Camp together. Encourage. And when you do, be intentional to encourage one another, to strengthen one another in the faith. Talk about what God's teaching you. Draw the hearts out. Have people over for lunch on a Sunday and talk about the sermon together. Take the initiative to plan fellowship. You may also want to think about this or have this conversation with their spouse if you're married. How many times are you willing to miss church this summer? What's like the minimum for you? Hey, we got some things we're doing this summer, but we're not, I'm not willing to miss X number of times this summer. It just, it can't be more than that. It's too important. Have that conversation within your family or just in your own heart. Summer is a different pace, but work, work in these fellowships into the rhythms and ru- routines of your life to, to be strengthened by your relationship with God's people. So refreshment is available to us. God has given us many means. The three we've highlighted this evening are in creation, through God's word, and with God's people. Refreshment, as we know, really culminates as we experience communion with Christ. He is the creator, and his creation speaks of his glory. Christ is the word, and scripture teaches us about his goodness. Christ is the groom of the church, and God's people encourage one another. The summer is really kind of an especially good time to prioritize spiritual refreshment. And as I said at the beginning, listen, as I said at the beginning, if you neglect these God-given sources of refreshment, again, I think you'll pay the price. You can't minimize God's means of grace and expect to be unaffected. You can't say, we'll click that back into gear in six or eight weeks. So I encourage you to actively seek refreshment during the summer by enjoying the outdoors, delighting in God's word, and prioritizing fellowship among believers. Make the goal of your summer to behold glory and to deepen your faith. Let's pray together. Father, we've taken a an extended time this evening to think through some of the implications of your psalm to to us in Psalm 19. And we thank you for the truth that is there, and we thank you for the ways that you've used it in each of our lives. Lord, I pray that you would uh, just be mindful, or just just that your spirit would minister to us in individual ways. If there's some part of the message, some part of the truth from your word uh, that Each individual here needs to think about perhaps not everything, but a specific thing. Would you press it upon their heart? Would you bring it to their mind? And would you give them conviction to follow through on it? Lord, we thank you for this time we could spend together, and we thank you for the ways that you're already at work in our lives. Praise in Jesus' name, amen.